Well, our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. We're going to read verses 38 through 45. I'll give you a minute to get there in your own Bibles at home. Matthew 12, verses 38 through 45. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation, generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it look to Jesus as a treasure that is greater than all others. What does it mean to have privilege. How do we define such a word when, when today it is bandied and tossed around in so many contexts? According to, according to Webster's, privilege is defined as a right or immunity granted as a special benefit, advantage, or favor. In our culture today, where we want everything to be fair and equal, with this term of privilege is typically seen as, as a negative thing. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Take, for instance, a, a high school graduate, one who has worked hard over the years, studying, trying to get good grades. And say they score really well on the, on the ACT or the, or the SAT. And because of those scores, they now have the privilege to go to an Ivy League school. They have earned that right because of their hard work. But as we all know, not all privilege is earned. Some are just bored into it. Having wealthy parents can give a person a huge advantage in life. But this too isn't necessarily a bad thing. It, it all depends on, on what a person does with that privilege. Do they use it in a, in a selfish way, trying to keep others down and so that they can remain on that high pedestal? Or do they take that privilege and use it as a means to benefit those who have less. In, in, in Spider-Man lore, what is, what is the advice that Uncle Ben gave to Peter Parker? With great power comes great responsibility. Well, the same could be said about privilege. With great privilege 
also comes great responsibility. You see, any privilege that you might have ultimately comes to you from God above. And, and what, does, what one does with that privilege, whether earned or un, unearned, will demonstrate both their view of God and the state of their heart. When it came to spiritual matters, the Jews of Jesus' day were born into a privileged position. They may not have had the wealth or the political power of the Romans, but when it came to the things of God, they were, they were rich beyond measure. And with that privilege came a greater responsibility. We see the importance of this played out in our scripture for today. Now, as we have been going through Matthew's gospel, ever since chapter 12, we have seen highlighted for us this, this tension between the Pharisees and Christ. It began with a, with a dispute over the Sabbath laws. Jesus, this Lord of the Sabbath, this one who is greater than the temple, he had tore down the teachings of this man, demonstrating that the Sabbath was established for man's benefit. It was there, it, it, it was, it was there that, that, that the law was there in order for man to prosper. And so to do good on that day was, was being obedient to the command of the Sabbath. Christ then proved his point by healing a man with a withered hand. And in doing so, what, what Jesus had essentially done was to destroy the worldview of these men and to take away any semblance of power that they may have had. For, for their religion of, of, of salvation through a self-righteousness had been shattered. And the crowds, those that, that gave them the political sway that they had, that, that those crowds were now following Jesus rather than them. But instead of seeing the error of their ways and repenting, their hatred was stirred up, and they began to plot on how they could kill this man. And then it was last week that we saw that that same hatred revealed itself through the lips of these men. Christ had, had just healed a demon-possessed man, a man who was also blind and mute. And, and when the crowds that were following him, when they witnessed this healing, they grew excited. And, and they were asking one another, could this be the son of David? For this triple healing, it was a surefire sign that Jesus was fulfilling messianic prophecy. And yet these Pharisees chose to ignore the obvious. They, 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 they claimed that it was only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that Jesus drove out demons. Because of their hatred for Christ, what, what they had essentially done was harden their hearts to the point of no return. These men had blasphemed the Spirit of God, revealing their hatred of Him and the wicked state of their own hearts. Now think about this for a moment. These Pharisees knew the Scriptures better than any other. S spiritually speaking, they were privileged men. Not only were they Jews, having, having the Word of God read to them on a weekly basis, but, but they had dedicated their lives to the study and obedience of that Word. And because of their tenacity, they were typically given the honor of being elders in the synagogue. So not only were they born into privilege, but they also earned more of it. 
And if that wasn't enough, these men just happened to be living during the time when the Messiah came. They got to witness Jesus, both his teaching and the miraculous things that he did. So what we see is that these, these men had three levels of privilege. They were Jews, they were Pharisees, and they had witnessed the Messiah. They had every advantage, and yet they refused to believe. Instead, what do we see them doing? Let's, let's jump into our text and, and find out. Look at Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. As you can see from this verse, these Pharisees were not alone. For with them were the teachers of the law. Also known as scribes, these men were the lawyers of their day. They, they, they knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And they had the authority to settle any legal decision legal dispute that arose in their community. In other words, they were the best of the best. Now often these, these two groups, these, the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they, they get lumped together. As, as most scribes were Pharisees, though they didn't have to be. You, you see, the one was a profession, while the other was a Jewish sect that held to specific beliefs. So, what was probably happening here is that these Pharisees, they, they, they were unable to handle Jesus' argumentation. And so what did they do? They, they brought in their heavy hitters, the, these, these teachers of the law. What was their tactic? They, how were they going to get this man to stumble so that they could win back the crowds? Well, the approach that they took was to ask for a sign. What they were looking for was Christ to prove himself to them. Show us a miracle, Jesus. Show us something that, that demonstrates who you are. Give us the undeniable evidence that, that proves that you are the Messiah. The irony of this situation couldn't be any thicker. Ever since, ever since chapter 5, we have seen nothing but signs from Jesus. From, from the great wisdom of, of his teaching to the healing of the sick, from the casting out of demons, and yes, even raising the dead. Everywhere you turned, there were signs coming from this man. Were these Pharisees living under a rock to not know these things? No, of course they knew. So what were these men doing? What were they looking for? They were looking for Jesus to fall flat on his face. What, what they were basically saying was, was that everything you have done is not enough. Do something beyond the healings. Go further than, than just casting out the demons. Wow us, Jesus. Come on, put on a show. But as we'll see, Jesus would not capitulate to their demands. Look at, look at verses 39 and 40. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, 
So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. A wicked and adulterous generation. Often in the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets, adultery was symbolic for idolatry. For example, look at Jeremiah 3, verses 6 through 10. It says this, During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all of this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. It was on the high hills and under the green trees that the, that the, the, the Canaanites would set up their shrines made of stone and wood. Shrines to Baal, shrines to Asherah. The, the, the Jews were commanded not to worship other gods, but to be as a faithful wife one who would, who would remain steadfast to Yahweh alone. But instead, what do we see them doing? They committed acts of adultery as they worshipped these foreign gods. This is the, the, the referent that, that, that Jesus is using in our passage. Those who ask for, for a miraculous sign are idolatrous in their heart. Now, the, now you have to understand, the Jews, for the, the, for the most part, had abandoned their idolatry ever since they had been exiled to Babylon. They had remained faithful to the worship of Yahweh and serving Him alone. So to be called a wicked and idolatrous generation would have been a, a slap in the face for these men. Just as we saw last week, Jesus, He isn't mincing any words here. Rather, he is being brutally honest. No, these men were not bowing down to wood or to stone, but they had rejected the miracles that were in their midst. And then they had the nerve to demand a different sign. They were basically thumbing their nose at God and saying, we won't believe no matter what you show us. This is how it is with those who don't have faith, is it not? They say, prove it. Show me the evidence. If you do that, then I'll change my mind. And yet you can never please them, for there is no amount of proof that will ever satisfy them. It is like the story of the, of the rich man and Lazarus. After, after, after both those man's death, we, we see the rich man who is suffering in the fire. And Lazarus, he is comforted at Abraham's side. But this rich man, he wants to warn his brothers. Look at Luke 16, verse 27. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. 
for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, father, he said, but if, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if, I, even if someone rises from the dead. Even if someone rises from the dead. These Pharisees were already not listening to Moses or the prophets. For they ignored all the signs that, that scripture foretold and were asking for another. Jesus would not give them a sign except for one. One that fulfills the purpose in his coming. The sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus would rise from the dead, but not even this would be enough for them. Let me ask you, is it enough for you? The fact that Jesus died for your sins and then rose from the dead, is that enough for you to believe or do you need more are you looking for some miracle in the here or now or are you waiting for a sign from heaven you may not have lived during the time of jesus but you have the privilege of the complete word of god you have the the, the holy scriptures which are sufficient for making you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus but if you are looking for something beyond this, if you are asking God to prove it, then, then you have fallen into the same trap, the, the, the same lies as the Pharisees. Those men asked for a sign because they were a wicked and adulterous generation, even though they were a privileged generation. And because of that, they would stand condemned. Look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. In these verses, Jesus gives us two examples of those who will judge his generation. The first are the men of Nineveh. Who were they? They were the people that God had sent Jonah to preach against. Nineveh was, was the capital of the Assyrians, a, a, a cruel people with a vast empire. And at that time, they were decimating nations. They, they, they were hated by everyone. You see any kingdom that, 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 that wouldn't capitulate, that, that stood in their way, they would utterly destroy. They, they would turn their cities to ashes. And they invented new and painful ways of punishing the rulers. It is said that the art of crucifixion began with the Assyrians. And yet, at the preaching of Jonah, these wicked people repented. 
What did Jonah say that could turn a nation like this towards God? What kind of message could drive them to repentance? Look at Jonah 3, verses 4 and 5. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Was that it? Just one man going around the city shouting, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Was that all there was? Maybe there was more to what Jonah said. Perhaps the people had heard how Jonah had survived the big fish. But maybe not. We, what we are given is, is a simple message spoken by a simple man. Nobody was asking for any signs. And even if they did, I, I, I doubt Jonah would have provided any. You have to remember, Jonah was a reluctant prophet. He, he didn't want these people to repent. He, in fact, he was hoping that God would bring the judgment upon them. Dear friends, do you, do you see it? These wicked people were giving an unenthusiastic, disinclined prophet of God with a non-extraordinary message. And they repented. They weren't like the Jews with, with a knowledge of Yahweh. And I'm sure that, that the majority of them had never heard a word of Scripture in their lives. When it came to the things of God, they were underprivileged. And yet they turned from their sins with fasting, wearing sackcloth and ashes. Now compare the men of Nineveh to these Pharisees, Jews who, who, who studied their scriptures well, who, who, were, who were given a prophet far greater than Jonah, who, who, a prophet who actually desired the repentance of sinners. They, they, they had Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, standing right before them, giving them lengthy sermons about kingdom living and their need for renewed hearts. But instead of repenting, these men were asking for a sign. What about you? How will the men of Nineveh look upon you at the day of judgment? You have the complete word of God readily available to you. If you don't have it in, in book form, you can get it online or get it on your phone. Do you understand that, that, that Jesus' call to repentance needs to be heeded? Will you turn from your sins as the Ninevites did? Or, or will you harden your heart and demand a sign? But it isn't only the Ninevites who will stand in judgment. Think about Jesus' second example, the, the, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba. Now, who is she? She was most likely a, a ruler from the Arabian Peninsula. And she had heard rumors about the wisdom and the glory of King Solomon. So she traveled from far away to see this for herself. Listen to her reaction after she had met with this king. Look at 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 4. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, 
the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings that he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. The Hebrew that is translated as overwhelmed here, it, it literally says there was no more breath in her. She was awestruck, transfixed by the, by the glory and, and, uh, of this man and by his wisdom. And this coming from a queen who was probably both wise and glorious herself. She had recognized the, the gift that Solomon was to his people. Listen to her words as she praised him for it. Look at verse 6. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Even though she was not a Jew, was a pagan from a land far away. She recognized the kindness of Yahweh that, that he would give to his people such a wise and wonderful king. In fact, she was so awed by her experience that she gave to Solomon a massive tribute of gold and spices and precious stones. But now here in our story for today, we have a wiser king, one who is more glorious than Solomon. He, he not only offers happiness to his people, but true joy. And yet these Pharisees failed to recognize him as such, even though they got to witness more than the queen of the south ever got to witness. And that is why she shall judge them. How about you? Do you recognize the wisdom of Jesus? Do you see his glory that, that, that he can bring peace and, and joy to your life? Do you understand that he is worthy of your praise, that he is deserving of your tribute? Do you recognize that he is far greater than Solomon? These Pharisees, they could not see it. Or rather, they, they, they chose not to see it. And that is why they demanded a sign. For they believed themselves to be close to God. And yet, they were really under the influence of Satan himself. Let's look at our last set of verses. Verses 43 through 45. When an evil spirit comes out of a man... It goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. 
That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Jesus is now comparing this wicked and adulterous generation to a man who has been cleansed by a demon only to ultimately find himself possessed by seven more. In other words, an an empty soul will not remain empty for long. Ever since the exile, the Jews had rid themselves of the worship of wood and stone. They no longer bowed down to Baal. But what this generation had replaced it with was a religion that was far worse. And the reason that it was worse was because it had come so close to the real thing. For what these Pharisees were doing was twisting God's word by by teaching that the law of God could be achieved by man in his own strength. It was a self-righteousness that these Pharisees were teaching and that they had placed that heavy yoke upon the people. Yes, they had driven out the idolatry of the land. But what they had taken in was an idolatry of its own and something that was far more dangerous. It was far more deceptive. For their self-righteous living, it looked holy. It looked good. But it was just another form of pride. And this pride had consumed and trapped these men, so much so that they refused to repent even when their Savior came to rescue them. They truly were under the grips of Satan. I mean, this is why they were plotting to kill Jesus. It is why they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And it is why in our passage for today, they stood condemned. Instead of submitting to the, to the one who was in their midst, to this better prophet, to this wiser king, to this one who is greater than. Instead of bowing the knee, they held on to their pride and asked for a sign. Dear friends, do not harden your hearts today like these Pharisees did. Jesus has given you everything you need to recognize who he is. He has revealed himself to you through his completed word. Just like these Pharisees, you are a privileged people. Jesus has made known to you that he is the greater prophet that speaks a mightier word calling you to repentance. He has shown to you that he is the greater king, demonstrating superior wisdom and a glory that is unmatched. And he offers to you a path of salvation that doesn't depend on you earning it yourself. For his justice and his righteousness is found in the blood that he shed upon that cross, upon the cross. It it flows down, covering your sin and washing you clean. Recognize who he is, this better prophet, this mightier king. And then turn from your sins and put your trust in him today. For Jesus truly is greater than. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now in in awe of your Son. He speaks a, a word to us that is superior to all other words. He, he shares a wisdom with us that, that is wiser than any other knowledge. 
and he has a greater glory that is unmatched by the most powerful of kings. We are not worthy of his mercy, and yet he offers to us, he offers it to us without cost. His kindness leaves us breathless. Grant us now hearts to believe. May your Holy Spirit renew us from within. We pray this in the, in the name of the, of the one who is greater than, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.